The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. My last year of seminary in St. Louis, I was a stay-at-home dad. We had our little boy, Corbin, the summer before I was to graduate. My wife was a teacher, and I was a stay-at-home dad with little Corbin and our two dogs. And I would go to school at night. And so when I was a stay-at-home dad, I started jogging and had a little jogging stroller. And so I would go around our neighborhood with my, with my little baby boy and my two dogs. And we kind of lived in a poor area of St. Louis. And uh, St. Louis is, obviously has some pretty tough areas. We lived in a very broken area of St. Louis. And so when I went for a jog, sometimes it was very scary. But it wasn't scary because of the people. It was scary because of the dogs. I don't know if any of you are joggers, but dogs can be very scary animals. In our little community, it was a status symbol to own a pit bull, to own something that could uh, eat your dog. And so uh, we would go for jogs, and there was this one particular place on our loop where we would intentionally cross over the street. It was a four-lane road with no median, and we would cross over the road because there was just this ferocious Huge dog. I mean, this dog probably weighed 100 pounds, was completely fit. I mean, it was 60 pounds of muscle and like 40 pounds of teeth. It was a scary, scary dog. Well, one day I'm jogging with pushing my my little baby boy, Corbin, and the two dogs, which is quite a sight, you can imagine. And we're running. And we go to the other side to get away from this dog. And we hear the dog barking. And it is just a scary dog. Well, the the dog jumps the fence and starts running at us. And I knew what fear was at that time. (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? You know, nobody is around. The road is dead. No one is jogging or doing anything. I'm like, okay, I'll let go of the dog so you can have them for lunch and maybe we can get away. All right. So we are jogging and the dog jumps the fence and, and this all happens in a split second. And the dog starts running across the road to come get us. And out of nowhere comes this speeding car, and it hits and kills the dog. True story. If you're feeling sorry for the dog, don't. This was by the grace of God. Okay? Today we're going to be talking about fear and the comfort that God gives us in fear, and even the provisions that God makes for us so that we need not fear. If we were in a community group or a Bible study together and we were studying the passage today, I would ask you, what do you fear? We'll look more at that in a little bit. If you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 in the Red Bible, uh, it is page 27. Again, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can uh, just sneak on back and grab one. You will definitely need a Bible, and so please grab one. Page 27 in the Red Bible If you're not in the Red Bible, it's near the beginning of the Bible. If you remember, we're working our way right through Genesis. And if you remember, Jacob had escaped from the promised land and run away to Haran. And do you remember why Jacob ran away from his homeland? Why he ran away from home? Jacob ran away from home because he had deceived his father and he had cheated his brother out of his father's blessing. Blessing was a big thing in the day. And we read Esau, his brother's reaction to it in Genesis 27. It says, now Esau hated Jacob 
because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. This was a legitimate threat. Esau was a hunter. He was a sportsman and he was angry and he wanted to kill his brother. And so their mother Rebecca said, hey, uh, uh, Jacob, why don't you flee? Why don't you go to Haran? And when, when Esau's anger subsides, I will send word to you and you can come back. 20 years later, his mother has never sent word that Esau's anger has subsided. And now Jacob is headed back into the promised land, back where his brother is. And fear overtakes him. And that's the passage that we're looking at today. And so read with me, Genesis 32. We'll read verse 1 through 21. Again, it's page 27 in the Red Bible. Follow along with me, if you would. Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Maenam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus say your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. (laughs) Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I cross this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children's. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are presents sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind me. He likewise instructed the second 
and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the presence that goes ahead of me. And afterwards, I shall see his face. Perhaps, perhaps he will accept me. Let's pray. God, we come to your holy, inspired, inerrant word under its submission here to learn, Lord. Give us ears to hear, Lord, what you have to teach us today. Let us bring our fears before you and be transformed by your goodness and your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Jacob is returning home. He sends messengers in front of him to tell Esau that he's coming. And the messengers return with their tail between their legs saying, Esau has 400 men with him. 400 men. Could you imagine moving across country? Your arch nemesis meets you halfway with 400 men. Would you be afraid? I would be. I would be scared. I mean, what does Jacob have? Goats and cows? These men might have sword. And so Jacob is desperately afraid. We see that throughout this passage. We see it as Jacob divides his camp. He says, you know, if Esau kills one camp, at least the other camp will live and I can go be with them. We see it because Jacob even tries to buy Esau's favor. In verse 13, says that Jacob stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. You know, it, it, you might hear in commercials, why do, why do guys buy their wives flowers? Well, Mother's Day, birthdays, or if they're in trouble, right? If they're afraid and they want to find favor in their wives' eyes. And this is what Esau is, I'm sorry, Jacob is doing. He is sending these flocks, lots of flocks, over 500 of these large animals to Esau to win his favor. I was talking to my neighbor across the street this week, and uh, he just bought a new car. And he said, his name's Farmer Dave, and he's a great guy. And he said, you know, back when I was young, I could trade two cows for a car, right? I have no idea what the price of these large animals are, but 500 of them was an extraordinary gift to earn the favor of Esau. Jacob was afraid. It even says here twice in this passage, how fearful Jacob was. In verse 7, it says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And then he prays to God and he says, I fear my brother Esau that he will kill me. And so again, let me ask you the question, what are you afraid of? What gives you fear? What keeps you awake at night? Maybe it's a person, someone who you are afraid will abuse you physically or verbally, or maybe someone that will leave you. And the fear consumes you. Maybe you are afraid of your financial situation. You don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. Or your job is a little bit unstable. Maybe you are afraid of sickness. Of a terminal disease for you or someone in your family. Or even their own safety as they drive on the road. What are you afraid of? What is your fear today? What we're going to look and see is how should the children of God respond when those fears overcome us. And what we're going to see is because God goes with us, we must go to God with our fears. 
Because God goes with us, we must go to God with our fears. And that is, that is the, the main point of the sermon. So let's break that up and digest it a little bit. Let's take that first part. Because God goes with us. Genesis 24 kind of starts with a surprise. Jacob is headed back to the promised land. And all of a sudden, there is this random event in which the angels of God appear to Jacob. We see it in verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mayanam. You know, the question I have is, why did God do this? Why did God lift the veil from Jacob's eyes and let Jacob see the spiritual reality that was going on around him? Why did God do this? Well, God certainly knew what Jacob was headed into. God knew that he was headed towards Esau and knew the fear that would come over Jacob going back to a brother who wanted to kill him when he left. And so God encourages him by saying, my angels go with you. It says here there was a camp of angels. That's a, that was a term that was used even of military camps. And so there's, there's an army of angels that go with Jacob as he heads back into the promised land. And what God is communicating is that there are heavenly armies surrounding you. And so you need not fear. When I was in St. Louis, I remember heading home from school one day on I-70, which was a major highway. And it was a busy part of the day. And something very odd happened. I was driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, the traffic coming the other way started to trickle and then completely stopped. And after it completely stopped, about three miles later, there was a motorcade of 20 black vehicles. Later that night, I saw on the news that the president was in town and that all of the police shut off the exits and his, and his, and his bodyguards protected him to take him to the place where he was going to speak. We, as those who trust in Christ, in a way, have a secret service. We have angels that camp with us and go with us to protect us. We have invisible bodyguards given by God. You know, I have to confess to you, and you may be like me, I grew up in a tradition where we worshipped angels, which is horrible to God, and it's horrible to angels. They don't want that. But I have overreacted. I have discounted the work of God's messengers on this earth. That God sends his angels to protect us on this earth. You know, when I was jogging in St. Louis and that car came out of nowhere to kill that dog, could it have been God using his angels to protect me? Absolutely. You see the angels at work throughout scripture. Or maybe the angels just prompted that person to go and to drive to pick up a glass of milk. I have no idea. But we see that the Lord is protecting us through his angels. The, the term here that Jacob gives it is Mahanaim, which means two camps. There is the camp of Jacob and there is the camp of God, the camp of angels. And they go together. That place for me was Mahanaim, a reminder that God is with me, protecting me and caring for me. So what do you fear? What scary situation do you look at? Remember that the Lord is with you. His heavenly armies surround you. And because God is with us, and this is the second part, we must go to God with our fears. You know, what we see in today's passage has become 
one of my favorite prayers. I never really saw it before in reading through Genesis. But we see Jacob offer up this amazing prayer to God. You know, we've talked about a pattern for prayer, an, an acronym that's helpful. The acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And we'll talk more through that acronym when we look at the prayer of Jacob. But before we do that, I just want to point out two things about this. That this, that this flow, this pattern of prayer of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication is the same plan, is the same pattern of redemptive history. Excuse me, of redemptive history. Adoration, God created all things glorious and amazing and demonstrated his power in creation. Confession of our sin. There was the fall in which all of us sinned against God. Thanksgiving, God gave his grace to us and rescued us. And supplication as we pray today, Lord, let your will be done. Lord, let your kingdom come. This is also actually the pattern that we have for worship service every Sunday. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we actually have a liturgy here at Jacob's. Well, a pattern that we follow. It's the history of redemption in which we adore God for who he is. We confess our sin, acknowledging that he is holy and we are not. We give thanks to God and then we petition God to come and bring his kingdom among us. You see, Jacob follows that same pattern here in this passage. First, we see in his prayer, adoration, in which he declares God's identity in his glory. Look in verse 9 with me. And Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. Jacob is not just praying into thin air. He's not praying into outer space. He is praying to a specific God, the God of Jacob, the God of, excuse me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. He is praying to the Lord Yahweh. That's why it's capitalized in your text. But more than that, he is not only identifying who he's praying to, he's identifying the type of God that he's praying to. He is praying to a God who has been gracious and loving to Abraham and to Isaac and now to him. He's praying to a God who speaks, who called him back to the promised land. He's praying to a God who has promised him good. And so he gives his adoration to God. Then he goes on to confess confess his sin, admitting his unworthiness. Verse 10. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love. I'm not worthy of the least, not the most. I'm not worthy of the least of your steadfast love. I am nothing. What would you think of me, God? I am a sinner. Why would you show me grace and pour out your blessings? Adoration, confession. He goes on to thanksgiving, recognizing God's grace. Verse 10. Second half, he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. As we adore the greatness of God, as we confess our unworthiness, everything we have is seen as a gift from God and it wells up thanksgiving within us. And Jacob is expressing that thanksgiving to God. That even when Jacob was unfaithful, God was faithful to him. Even when Jacob did not love God, God loved him. And so he responds with thanksgiving. And finally, we see this supplication, which is the, the big idea of this passage, Jacob's fear. Verse 11, 
He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. Jacob's petition, Jacob's request is very simple, very clear. I do not want to die. (laughs) I do not want my family to die. We want to live. And he prays to God to deliver him because the Lord has been the deliverer. For Abraham, the Lord delivered him out of the hand of Pharaoh. He delivered him out of the hand of Abimelech. He delivered him out of invading armies from the north when he tried to rescue Lot, if you remember. For Isaac, he delivered him out of the hand of Abimelech. The Lord delivers his people. And so Jacob prays to him, Lord, deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. But notice that this petition comes as Jacob reassures himself of God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family. He says, but you said, God, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Jacob is saying the promise that you gave to Abraham, I claim for my own. You said that I would have a multitude of descendants, but if we all die today, that promise is gone. And so God, you must be true to your promise. Deliver me. You see, because God goes with us, wherever we go, we must go to God in prayer with our fears. There's a story of a missionary who was on furlough, which means he came home to raise support and connect with people, vacation a little bit. Missionary came home on furlough and he was visiting his home church in Michigan. And while he was told the story about while he was serving in a small field hospital in Africa, every two weeks he would travel by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. On this journey, it was a two-day journey, and so he would camp overnight at a halfway point. On one of those journeys, he came to a town to go and pick up money from the bank to buy supplies. And he treated a man who had just been in a horrible fight. And after treating the man and getting his money, he went to go back to his town to buy supplies. And it says, uh, two weeks later, he returned on his journey. And upon arriving in the city, he was approached by the young man that he had treated. And the young man told him that he knew that he was carrying money. And so he and some of his friends had followed the missionary into the jungle. And they waited for him to camp overnight. And then they approached him, planning to kill him. And take his money and take his drugs. But just as they were about to move into the camp. The man said they saw 26 armed guards surrounding him. 26 armed guards. The missionary laughed. He goes, no one was with me. What are you talking about? He goes, no, I saw 26 armed guards. The missionary said, you must have been hallucinating. There was no one with me. He goes, no, no, no. My five friends counted the guards as well. They too saw 26 armed guards protecting you. Well, as the missionary gets to that point in the, in his story, a man from the church in Michigan jumps up and says, what night did you say that was that, that that happened? And the missionary tells him and the man says, I need to tell you a story. He goes, when it was night there, it was morning here. And I went out to play golf and I was lining up for a putt. And God put on my heart that I needed to pray for you. 
And the burden was so great that I called other men in the church and we gathered together and we interceded and prayed for you that night. And then the man said, those men that were there with me praying, would you please stand up? And as they stood up, they counted 26 men praying for that missionary. The power of prayer is great. You know, we look at stories like that. And, and if you're like me, you have this skepticism. But why? God is a God who answers prayer. You know, I have, I have seen, you know, I've seen, I've seen tanks. I've seen missiles. I've seen atomic bombs on TV. But nothing compares to the power of prayer. And when we treat prayer like that, that glass that says, you know, break in case of emergency, when we only go to the, in, in the most horrific times like Jacob did, we are, we are doing an injustice to God. See, a prayerless life is an arrogant life, isn't it? A prayerless life is an arrogant guy life because prayerlessness is the fruit of a self-exalting God belittling heart. <laughs> prayerless life is the fruit of a self-exalting, God-belittling heart. Because we say, you know what, God? I can do this on my own. I do not need you, God. And yet, when we see the reality around us and the protection of God and the grace of God, we are called to be in constant prayer. And so when we face fearful situations, we must go to God in prayer because God goes with us. Let me end by pointing out something interesting that the commentators all kind of comment on about this passage. They're a little bit startled about how afraid Jacob is. And the reason why they're startled by it is because just in the chapter before, Laban, his, his father-in-law, came and overtook Jacob. And Jacob showed ex- amazing courage. He actually rebuked Laban and sent him home with the tail between his legs. And they said, why, did not, why didn't Jacob have the same courage towards Esau? Well, you see, with Laban, Jacob had a guilt-free conscience. He had worked for Laban with integrity. But when he came to Esau and his relationship with Esau, Jacob was absolutely guilty, and he knew it. He had cheated Esau. He had deceived Esau. He had done hateful things towards Esau. Last week, we talked about fearing the Lord. Because he is an awesome God who sees all and judges all. You know, we too fear God because all of us are guilty. All of us have blood on our hands. We're guilty of fearing men instead of fearing God. We're guilty of loving sin more than we love God. We're all guilty of having self-exalting, God-belittling, prayerless lives. We're all guilty and we come to God with great fear. And we cry out to God, God, you are holy And I am a sinner. And we pray to God, God, deliver me from my sin. Deliver me from the consequences of my sin. We actually see Paul making the same prayer request in Romans. He says this, you can read along with me. He says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is acknowledging 
He is a sinner. Paul's acknowledging that he is guilty. He's acknowledging that he cannot deliver himself. And so he says, who is it? Who is it that will deliver me from this body of death? And it continues, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can go to God in prayer in the midst of our fears because we know that Jesus has gone before us to take away the ultimate fear, which is the condemnation of God. And if God went before us then to take away that great punishment, how much more can he take away every other fear in our life? So what do you fear? What causes you anxiety in your life? If God has delivered you from the greatest threat you will ever face, the just condemnation of a holy God. If he has delivered you from that by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, how much more can he deliver you from the crisis you face today? Let's pray. Gracious God, we are a fearful people. We confess that, God. We fear circumstances all the time, Lord. God, pray that we would be a praying people, knowing that you have gone before us to deliver us, that we would trust you, with life's most difficult circumstances. Help us to that end, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.